0: Your Bibles find uh, Matthew, please, the ninth chapter of the Good News according to Matthew, <clears throat> chapter nine. And we're going to begin in just a moment, we're going to begin reading uh, in verse nine. <clears throat> Before we read, though, let me tell you a story. I remember well uh, the night uh, that woman kissed me in a bar on Christmas Eve. This was in Richmond, Virginia. Our church, uh, Bon Air Baptist, had a campus of our church, an extension if you will, over in a shopping center on Robius Road. We called it Robius Hall. It was just outside the entrance to the largest uh, mobile home village in Central Virginia. Right next, it, it was a former bank branch, <clears throat> And right next to that campus in that shopping center or strip mall was a bar. And the the regulars at the bar were good neighbors. They were glad we were there. In fact, the campus pastor there became sort of the the, uh, de facto chaplain to that bar. Did a funeral for uh, one of the regulars there when uh, they didn't have anybody else. so it was Christmas Eve, we had done one of our services at what we might call the, many would call the main campus. And a few of us decided to go over to the bar and sing Christmas carols. So we went in and the, asked the manager, he said yes. After all, uh, if you're in a bar on Christmas Eve, you probably could use some good news. And so we, we just sang. And lots of the, lots of the folks there, sang with us. Some of them sang with a little extra enthusiasm, as I recall. But after we had sung those beautiful carols and headed back to the main sanctuary, main campus for um, another service, a lady came up, rushed up to me and said, I could just kiss you. And she did. Kissed me on the cheek. quite frankly, It was an honor. With the story of the preacher getting kissed in a bar, let's turn to Matthew (laughs) chapter 9. (laughs) Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Matthew got up and followed Him. Now remember the book we're, we're reading this out of. He's telling his story. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So get the picture. Matthew is still figuring out what he signed up for. And some of his friends, his tax collect, members of the tax collectors union, they've gathered and, and Matthew says, there were some sinners. Uh, who came and joined us for dinner. When the Pharisees, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they were shocked, and they asked His disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? They were despised by the Jewish people, you know, for collecting Roman taxes. Why does He eat with those folks and with sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I read a book once with an interesting title, Googling God. And in that book, Googling God, there's a quote by John Kasich. He said, Jesus didn't put a sign on a palm tree and say, all those willing to be disciples meet here at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Refreshments will be provided. Jesus didn't put a sign on a palm tree and invite people for 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Jesus went to where the people were. Get your um, worship guides out and look at the front of them if if you have that available. I shared these pictures with you about six years ago. And I want to talk about them again, because it just seems to fit so well uh, this morning. We have celebrated the Lord's Supper, which of course is a reenactment of sorts, a remembrance of what we call the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper because it was on Thursday before Jesus died uh, on Friday. There are two famous depictions of the Last Supper. The most famous is that one on the top by, I think it's the one on top by Da Vinci. Uh, That's the one we all uh, know. It takes place in a a closed room, in in a a, a controlled setting. If you look at the picture you can see that people are talking and maybe asking questions. but, But the center of the picture is obviously Jesus. There's no question about the sacredness, the holiness of this moment, and all the the attention. Everything points to the center where Jesus is. So you can tell that if, if he speaks, you know everybody's going to listen. This is a it's a it's a rather even though they're asking questions or pointing and talking, that you, you get the idea that this is not a raucous scene. It's a controlled environment, much like our celebration of the Lord's Supper a moment ago. This is a controlled environment. We didn't have people jumping up and talking or yelling. And we, we all kind of, we all behaved ourselves, and it was orderly, much like that top picture. The bottom picture, uh, that was in the 15th century. In the 16th century, Paolo Veronese painted m- maybe my favorite painting ever. Not that I know a lot about painting, but I think it may be my favorite painting. Paolo Veronese depicts Jesus and his disciples having the Last Supper, but they're not in a controlled environment. They're not in the upper room. And in in fact, the reverence of the first, of of, of Da Vinci's painting is replaced with the raucousness of the second painting. They're not in in the upper room. They are out in fact in Venice where Veronese lived. They're out in the, the, the 16th century marketplace of Venice. And there are all kinds of characters there. And lots of them aren't paying attention. Lots of them don't even recognize that Jesus is there. They're carrying on their business, or they're, they're laughing and frolicking, or they're doing their, there are people there that, there's even one, at least one that has on the, the, the suit of a court jester. They're out, they're not in the, they're not in church. They're celebrating communion in the marketplace. Veronese got in big trouble, by the way, over that painting. He got in big trouble with the Roman Catholic Church of his day because, they, in fact, they called it heresy to depict Jesus and the disciples out among dogs, drunkards, and um, shoot, I forgot it at eight fifteen to dogs, drunkards, and foolishness. But it wasn't foolishness; it was a lot better than that. But they, they said it was heresy, and so he he actually had to change the name of the. Um, of the painting to a feast at levi 's house, Levi is Matthew, so he said he had to pretend, okay, this is really not the last supper It's it 's a feast in matthew 's house, or else he would have, he would have been in big trouble. but I love this painting this painting makes my heart sing because it 's Jesus and his followers in the marketplace, beyond their walls, beyond their traditions, beyond their preferences beyond their comfort. So with these two paintings in mind and the story of Jesus not putting a sign on a palm tree, but going to where the people were in mind, I want to talk about four uh, things. One, communion in the park. Two, fresh expressions of church. Three, church on TV. And four, post-COVID church. One, uh, communion in the park. A few Sundays ago, after this service, Charlotte Brodowski. Charlotte, wave at us so we know who you are. I wouldn't take credit for this, but since you're here, I've got to let people know it was your idea. So Charlotte came, and uh, she said, have you all, she said, do you, do you remember when we did Christmas Eve in the park? Well, of course, and it was a great, it was a great experience. We joined with our friends from First Missionary Baptist over by the, the, the actual spring in Big Spring Park, and we did three Uh, 12-minute Christmas Eve services, and it was wonderful. There were lots of people came. The spirit was great uh, of the people who were there. And uh, we did it under the umbrella of downtown Huntsville, Inc. And so afterwards, downtown Huntsville, Inc. invited Dr. Butler and me to come for a debriefing. And they said, we just have one request. Would you do more than three? So we said, sure we will. Now this is, we didn't foresee the pandemic, of course. So I'm not sure what will happen At Christmas Eve, but it was a marvelous experience right underneath uh, our uh, nativity scene. So Charlotte said, remember the Christmas Eve in in the park? Yes. She said, have you all thought about doing communion in the park? Well, what? No, I hadn't. But it was a great idea. So we went to, and went to minister staff meeting and uh, told them about uh, Charlotte's idea. And so this afternoon from two to four, a few of our ministers and a few ministers from First Missionary Baptists are going to have two stations. One will be up by the spring, and the other will be down at the gazebo by the Red Bridge, you know, near the Von Braun Center. And uh, there's going to be, there, we have these feather signs that say World Communion Day. And for anybody who comes by, we're not going to ask them for their uh, ID, are you a Baptist or not, of course. And we're not going to accost people, but we're going to be there, and you're welcome. But we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion in the park. We're already talking about uh, Ash Wednesday, about going out on Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, to uh, see if people want to experience the imposition of ashes to begin that. I, I tell you that just to remind us of how important it is to get beyond our walls, beyond our traditions, beyond our preferences, and beyond our comfort. The second thing is fresh expressions of church. And you've heard, many of you have heard me talk about these, these before, but fresh expressions are, are simply new forms of church among people highly unlikely to come to church as we know it. Most of them are small and simple, usually without a building, without a budget, usually led by persons In an affinity group or subculture or microculture, if you will. They began in, the movement began in England where they are even a couple of decades ahead of us and becoming quickly a post-Christian society. But they're working. People are coming to faith in Jesus who are, would almost certainly not just walk into a place like ours. So we have, we've started four. Now there's bright star among people in recovery and people who love people in recovery. They meet on Wednesdays. Heartfelt Expressions meets at Low Mill on Saturdays among the arts community, a very different approach than Bright Star. Uh, dinner Church is on Thursdays over in uh, Butler Terrace, and during the pandemic they've been taking dinner to the, to the people who've been part of that family like Meals on Wheels, and they go and they have prayer in, in, the, in the homes with people. And, um, and then there's Manna Church that meets on Saturdays at Manna House for people who don't at this point have a house to call a home. And um, we, started, we started something at UAH among the scientific community before COVID broke out. But I tell you that to encourage those of you who are participating because it's a beautiful thing. But like anything that's Of significance. It can be frustrating and it's a lot of hard work. But I'm really proud of what you all are doing, and I really, really appreciate it. But I also invite you, uh, others of you to consider, is there something, is there a subculture, a microculture, an affinity group that I'm part of that maybe we could start something, like maybe an outdoor group, like a cycling group. After the 815 service someone came to me and said, you know, I... I have a real connection with the Japanese ladies and there are lots of Japanese moving to the community. There are a couple of others I immediately put her in contact with who have connection to the Japanese community. What if we were to begin something uh, there? Are you, is there some affinity group, some subculture or microculture that you're part of and you say, Scott Day or Travis would you maybe buy me a hamburger and tell me about this? I'd be, I'd be more than happy and Scott would too. So that's, that's church beyond our walls, beyond our traditions, beyond our preferences, beyond our comfort. Communion in the park, and fresh expressions of the church, and then church on TV. You know for 40 years we've been broadcasting this service from 1030 to 1130 live. And then COVID-19 hit and we had to rethink what we were doing because for several weeks there we weren't live. So we stumbled into this pre-produced uh, program if you will that now is aired 10:30 to 11:30 and we 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 do the video on the sermon on Thursday sometimes in different settings around town and we mix our first fellowship music and our traditional music and and the the audience has expanded now I'm sure that that's part of part of that is because people are are home but We hope and pray and and believe that we're expanding into homes that uh, before were not part of our community, and who maybe uh, find something produced just for them a little more engaging than watching other people worship. And so we're now almost ready to announce an agreement with a second station that is available everywhere. So that we will broadcast twice at, at 1031, this service live, and the other a pre-produced program if you will, with the attempt, with an attempt, a specific attempt to engage uh, people who are not churched, and um, maybe not yet followers of Jesus. So soon we are going to be on two channels at the same time, kind of with different audiences in mind. I tell you that just to say it's important that we that we do the last supper in the marketplace that we that we get beyond our walls beyond our traditions beyond our preferences beyond our comfort. The final thing is post-COVID church or church after COVID-19. It seems that every 500 years, the church, and by church, I mean church with a capital C, the church, the global church, experiences some kind of shift or change. Of course, the church was born in the first century, and then about 500 A.D. was the emergence of the monastic movement, the monks and the missionaries who became teachers, who who gospelized, evangelized. It, it transformed the church. About 1000 A.D., 1054 I think it was, was the great schism between uh, the church in Rome and the church in Constantinople. The Constantinople uh, becoming the, the e- Greek or Eastern Orthodox church. Of course, the church centered in Rome, the Roman Catholic church. That was about uh, 1000. And then uh, 1517, you know, about 500 years later, of the Protestant Reformation, which reformed both the Roman Catholic Church and, of course, launched churches like ours, and then now here we are, five hundred years later, at you know the turn of the century, the you know the the, the latter part in the mid nineteen hundreds and beyond, the church began to change. Pentecostalism began to shape the church universal. Post modernism shaped the Western church. Post modernism, you know, the idea that. Well, science didn't solve all our problems, and truth is relative, and so on. And and the church in the West began to shift. And now here we we are in 2020 with a pandemic. And all you got to do is look around and realize the church has changed. Now, we don't know what it's going to look like when this is all over. Even the experts are scratching their heads Nobody knows, quite honestly, if everybody's coming back. The church may very well be different than it was, different than we knew it in March of um, 2020. So I say this to you not because I have any predictions, but because we have to get ready. Because we have to get ready for new carts, C-A-R-T-S. Let me remind you what I told you last week. 2 Samuel 6, David and the leaders of Israel are preparing to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now the Ark was this ornate sacred chest overlaid with gold. The, the uh, lid was solid gold. Inside was a pot of manna, which reminded them of the exodus from Egypt. It's what they ate during that, uh, their travels. Uh, the, the rod of Aaron, who was Moses' assistant. They had a copy of the law, the forerunner to what we call the Old Testament, and they had the very tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written. So this ark of the. Never has there been. An object more sacred, more important to a people than the Ark of the Covenant was to the people of Israel. It was a a powerful symbol of the presence and the blessing of God. Whenever they moved from one place to the other, they would make sure the Ark was at the head of the procession because it symbolized God going before them. So now here here we are in 2 Samuel 6 and they are about to move the sacred Ark to, to Jerusalem. And 2 Samuel 6, verse 3 says, they sat the ark of God on a new cart. Same ark, new cart. They didn't mess with the contents. But they said, we need a new delivery system for that which is so sacred to us. Our ark would be the fundamentals of our faith, the Bible is the trustworthy authority for what we believe and practice. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus, the grace of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God's mission to the world, His concern for the whole world and the whole person. Those fundamentals of our faith are what, uh, that would be our ark. We don't change that. We don't mess with that. But the cart on which it rolls sometimes has to be changed. New methodologies. Without tossing out those things that are important to us. New methodologies, methodologies, creative approaches. And I don't know what they will be, I don't know what they will be. But now is when we decide if we, if we're more concerned about the ark or the cart And for us to be a church for the 21st century, a a 211-year-old church, relevant in 2021 and beyond, we have to decide whether we're more concerned about the ark or the cart, which means we have to have a missionary mindset, not a consumer mindset. The consumer mindset says, I pay my money, I want my preferences. The missionary mindset says, God so loved the world that I'm okay with new carts, even if it ain't my bag. I, I don't know what the future holds. But now we decide, are we gonna be, are we gonna be missionaries to the 21st century? So, Veronese took Jesus and his friends out to the marketplace. Decades ago, Lanny Wolf wrote an old gospel song titled, My House is Full, But My Fields Are Empty. There's a line from that song, It seems all the children want to sit around the table. No one wants to work in my fields. So, given the words to that song, I want you to picture with me the scene. This big long family table strains under the weight of all that delicious food. The walls echo with the laughter of stories told every year, and they're funny every year. The faces of those around the table express the joy that they that they know just in being together but look with me for a moment down to the end of the table the head of the table the father sits there the patriarch and you know his heart is full in having all those people he loves so dearly around the table but he glances from time to time through the window uh, to the wheat fields just beyond the house, and he laments the fact that his kids, and their spouses and the grandkids, they all just want to, they all just want to sit around the table. It's, it's mixed emotion, right? Delighted with their gathering, but worried about the harvest. Because he knows the harvest has come and the time is not forever. So he's thrilled they're here. But he wishes they would also be there. We've got to get beyond our walls, beyond our traditions, beyond our preferences, beyond our comfort. And if we do, who knows? YOU MIGHT JUST GET KISSED BY A WOMAN IN A BAR ON CHRISTMAS EVE.